me get the hell out of here. Talk Recorded live. Scuba Obsessed Weekly Podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba to news. Scuba Obsessed episode 238 is recorded live April 23rd, 2015. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Jilson coming to you from the west side of Michigan where we are visiting some cold weather once again. We were hoping it was spring and it, it, it doesn't even begin to appear that way. Joining me this week, we have Mac the Dive Mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? I'm doing very well today. I'm glad I did not have to shovel any of the flurry snow from yesterday. Oh, yeah. I had a, a friend posted on Facebook uh, her back deck and said, Happy Spring, you know, April 22nd, 2015. But we've had snow much later than this. So, God, 22nd. Oh, yeah. I, I, I'm ready for some spring, but th- this has got to be the end. Yeah, it's got to be the end. I can't believe that we're still having cold weather. Yeah, I I went ahead and sent a note to my daughter in Florida, and she just wrote back to us, oh, I'm so sorry for you. We have 81 blue skies today. Everybody's south of the Mason-Dixon line. That's all they want to do. Rub it in. Let's see. Can you hear me? Am I coming across okay? You're coming good. Okay. That's good. I'm I'm watching my waveforms. And the recording, and it looked a little weak. But if you can say you, you hear me, then we'll say it's okay. What are you doing? Good? I don't I got anybody on talk to. Maybe they'll uh, come back and say I'm good, better, and different. Yeah. Well, if you can hear me, I can usually edit it the other way around. But, yeah, you look like you're coming through pretty loud and clear. I'm always trying to balance that between popping my peas into the microphone and it driving everybody crazy. I'm sure they're in their cars covering their ears or uh, you can't hear me. So that's always the fun of audio quality and editing. But that's not what the show's about. The show's about scuba diving, so let's jump into the news. It's going to be kind of a light week this week on the news front. We have a follow-up from Hawaii again. Seems like we like to talk about Hawaii. Well, that's where people dive a lot more than you do here. A little bit warmer, a little bit clearer water. Something about colored fish. Area, yeah. In In Hawaii, the new aquarium rules are now taking effect. According to the Department of Land and Natural Resources, there are new daily commercial bag and size limits that apply to aquarium fish, such as yellow tang and Moorish idol. It's also a ban on taking certain butterfly fish. The new rules are for waters within the nautical miles of Oa. Is, is that Ahoa? A-O. Sometimes I just can't read those Hawaiian names, or, or any other name for that matter. There's also a new rule about the types of nets that can be used to catch aquarium fish in an effort to help prevent the fish from getting injured. The DLNR made the new rules in response to a request of a group of aquarium fish collectors. Now, is this this is this sounds different than the other one? Isn't is what was the other ban was outright in an area? Yeah, it's like I'm not exactly sure what this one is because this does not sound outrageous. Meaning. So only doing a three-mile radius or, you know, three miles around. And they're talking about nets, which makes sense. You don't want to injure a fish. gives good guidance. Mm-hmm. 
like the regulations there to provide guidance, not only to the novice, but to blah, blah. But I'm just curious, though, how do they monitor that or how do they, you know, that's regulated by law, but that doesn't mean anything. How do you know when somebody catches the fish or not? Well, they they have a, their DNR like we do. So I just imagine that the DNR is out when they're catching, you know, people doing normal fishing. They're also getting the commercial guys doing aquarium fishing. And it's always interesting to me is how do they select you to come over and say, hi, I'm doing a safety check. You got any aquarium fish in your hole there? You know I, what I'm saying? Yeah. I, so a lot can go on, and you would know it if you didn't challenge it, and you're not going to challenge everybody. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like us. I mean, I've been, like, I wonder that when I'm diving on a wreck and we come up and there's a DNR guy there and they start asking the questions, you know, what prompted them? And they, I mean, I've been asked twice in two different areas. You know, I, I would say it ends up coming out to about 5% of the, the wreck dives we do. Somebody stops and questions I you. Have, I have never been on a boat that Coast Guard or anyone has ever stopped and asked gear check, safety check, or otherwise. Really? Yep. No. How, how, well, it happened with, and uh, we've we've got it in the show, so somebody could look it up and tell us what numbers it was. We could link it in the show notes. But there was one time where it was Bob Sweeney, Jim Kleeman, Kirk, and myself, and we were on the. Uh, well, we we were we were coming off of Michigan City, and we were uh, we were going to go on the wreck of the uh, Muskegon. Muskegon. And we got out there, and we were, we had dropped anchor. You know, Bob had hit it perfect. In fact, he had snagged his anchor in the wreck, and uh, he realized he left his dry suit in the vehicle. So we we were going to go back for it. Uh, Jim Kleeman uh, 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 just did a quick surface dive down to untangle the anchor from the wreck, and we had the dive flag up. And then as soon as he got up next to the boat, we lowered the dive flag, and then when we did that, the DNR came over. This was Indiana DNR. And the first thing they said is, where's your dive flag? We're like, well, we just had it up. And they didn't. And, you know, after they figured out what we were doing and asked what wreck we were on, you know, they, they do about six minutes where you're you're not sure where the conversation's going to go. And then once they, they realize that you're not doing anything bad, then it's all casual. And they and then you're, you know, then we were pumping them for information. Yeah, you know why, of course, in that location, don't you? Well, that's a, a, a federal landmark there. Well, how far is the Coast Guard station from where you're at? Oh, there? That's uh, about a mile. Yeah. Where do they normally come out and do their little turnabouts where we're located? That's also a state park that yep. that is located in. That's also a protected environment that gets dove a lot. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, duh, that's a spot that if somebody's going to do it who really doesn't know how to do it, meaning not as sneaky as some people, uh-huh. it, it's an easy one. And that's where they get their, their quotas done. They can go out to yes, I did such and such and such. Besides, yeah. they probably saw you guys leave and they looked at okay, it's those guys again. Not that you guys are suspicious looking or anything like that. Well, okay, so that was Michigan City, and the next one was out of South Haven, and you know the barge and crane where it's upside down. Yeah, who were you with again? On the one that where we came out of South Haven, that was Jim Kleeman and myself. You don't have to mention names. Was there any same people on the on the other one? I'm trying to remember who was on the other boat. I'm trying to remember if we had a second boat on that one. Yeah, we did have another boat on that one. Um, I can't remember who it was. See, that facial facial recognition works really good. Yeah. 
Yeah. Said, oh, we spotted these guys down here. Let's check in another place. Oh, there yeah. they are again. Let's go talk to them. Yeah, that, that was Michigan. Now, is there a coast? There's not a Coast Guard station in South Haven, is there? Yes, there is. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, but every port's got a Coast Guard station? No. Uh, South Haven used to have, but if you go up north a little bit, uh, I think it's either Holland or the one fort, the one we used, the ice dive on New Year's Day, the high noon one, yeah. they have one. Manitoba. Yeah, that's in Holland. Right. Uh, yeah, but we were we were just off South Haven on the you know barge and crane, and that pretty much lines up with the with the channel. So I maybe if that maybe they have duty areas and they're also just, how deep is that one? Well, that one was 110, 120. Yeah, it's barely in the limits of the preserve. Yeah, yeah. So they they asked us on that one, and that one they were a little you know that one they didn't really warm up for a while. Yeah, you know, we had to pull all our lines in. Because they were they were they were convinced we were stealing stuff from wrecks. You know, like no, we don't have anything. You're not taking stuff off. Like no. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that one. Uh, but yeah, twice. I can just say I just know who the crew was on both of those. So <laughs> yeah, there's a enough said. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Only time I've ever had the Coast Guard any involvement with them it was actually the uh, the Marine Division. <laughs> is we dove and a guy came over by our flag in his powerboat, mm-hmm. violated the 200-foot barrier between us and the, the boat and the flag and us. Was I in and, the boat with you when that happened? Say again? I think I was in the boat with you when that happened. Uh, I don't think you win this one at all. This was back in the cook plant days. Oh, okay, no. Uh, because they came out, sighted them, and chased, you know, chased them down and sighted them for that. The, 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 uh, the, the sheriff department? Yes. Mm-hmm. So the sheriff's department violated or somebody else violated? No, no, no. They were out there. We reported them. They came out and found them and cited them. Oh, cool. We were just curious. We're going to get subpoenaed to go to court and you know, and uh, be the witness because he did. Yeah. With digital cameras, take the freaking picture. Yeah. That well, says everything. Yeah. We, we were on the Havana once. Jesus, this is the third time. Uh, but this one was because uh, I, I was with the, the, the Berrien County, and I knew this guy. But the, he was they stayed 200 feet away from us, called called over, says everybody out of the water, and they came over and chatted. They weren't doing any sort of inspection. They were just out playing with their new boat, you know, probably a half-million-dollar boat. Wouldn't mind having one of those. Oh, yeah. Now, this next article is a scuba diving instructor who molested woman, women has is now out on bail. This one's from India. And I debated about whether to even talk about it, but it's important that people realize that these sort of things can happen. And we didn't even hear about this to talk about it before. No. Uh, gosh, I, uh, names again. Just use a makeup name. <laughs> Dana <laughs> was allegedly uh, molested. Oh, that was, that, I thought that was a, I couldn't even tell if it was a guy's or, or woman's name. Uh, the alleged molester. Uh, is accused of molesting three women underwater while scuba diving. He is arrested twice and released later. He is still working as an instructor in uh, in India, though he doesn't have permission to do so from the district administrator. <clears throat> uh, Rawat, an instructor for Dreams Diving, uh, the allegations came to light recently when an IT professional blogged about her nightmare on the coast in January 26. The monster had... My breathing equipment under his control, my oxygen tank in his hands. So that tells you she must have been real new. As we swam across the coral, his hands are no longer on my diving equipment. The shock slowly turned to fright. 
When his hands began to move across my body, I tried to break free from the grasp, but it was too tight. He then signaled me, asking if I was okay. I signaled with an okay 12 meters below the sea level. With my breathing equipment under this monster's control, I didn't uh, dare show any fear. Uh, she ended up filing a complaint, which he was arrested. In February, he is out on bail uh, currently. The charge sheet was filed in court. He didn't have a diving permit in the area, so he came to another location with Beaches District and took off tourist and uh, took tourists off the coast in remote islands. He he termed the acts of violating women as just playing. This is according to women who confronted him. So he says the first incident happened in November when two couples were taken by four dive instructors about 20 nautical miles off the coast. He slowly took uh, one of the females far away and got her isolated. She did she didn't know swimming, so she was at his mercy. We finished diving about 30 minutes after more than an hour. He came along with her. Uh, in one room, she broke down and narrated what had happened. He had groped her. When we confronted him, he admitted to it, saying, I was playing with her. They called police. She recently saw a post about it and started crying again. Yeah, so, she didn't file a report on that one either. No. So this goes to show you it doesn't matter what activity you're doing. You have to be vigilant. And and they, they got their technique. This is not this guy's first time doing this. I, at, at first, I was going to say, how is he getting them alone? But... He's doing one-on-one. Did you get the uh, title of the group that he worked for? It's called Exploita Scuba Diving. <laughs> Exploita. They're the ones who engaged his services. And then they talked. To, they said when they mentioned this to management, they said they were appalled and would review his services and may even terminate dealings with them. <laughs> may? May, yeah. Who's to it, say he doesn't, he doesn't own the company? Yeah, it sounds like he just drifts along and where he... You know, doesn't sound like he's going to stop anytime soon. No. Sad, sad. And then this next one, and this one I almost, I thought it was, uh, I don't know, it just, it just didn't strike me as something positive either. There's a coast company that's going to build an almond aquarium, and this one's out of Australia. Advanced Aquarium Technologies business development manager Zach Gill told The Daily the challenge to designing a public aquarium for an Arab audience was one that he relished. He said the aquarium would be located in a large shopping mall complex in Oman's capital city, Muscat, span three floors, and contain 5,000 square meters of exhibits. Mr. Gill said Amman was a fascinating country with a rich seafaring history and a vibrant ocean biodiversity. He said the oil-rich nation's approach to development was like Dubai and the neighboring United Arab Emirates, well-resourced. His job of designing an aquarium with an engaging storyline had been easy, but with some unusual and beautiful natural environments, he said. Visitors spend an average of about two hours enjoying the aquarium, so we really want them to get lost in journey. It's about almonds rich co- culture, but also the trade route and the important trade hub. Located at the mouth of the Persian Gulf, it's home to about three and a half million people and shares borders with Saudi Arabia, United Arab Emirates, and Yemen. He said, we have to consider the cultural requirements, he says, when he works in a Muslim community. For example, we couldn't have female scuba divers diving without a close male family member accompanying her. And that's what that's just what kind of struck me odd. I wonder what kind of swimsuit she wears. Oh, I bet it's a wetsuit, black. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, that's that's so revealing that they would have to have, and it has to be her, like a relative of hers. I saw the artist impression. Pretty neat if it's that big. Oh, beautiful. 
And that's what, $20 million worth. Yeah. Amazing. You can do a lot with $20 million. A good bit, yeah. Yeah. I guess you can pay people to bring their their male relatives with them while they're working on a project. Sure. So I see we're back to Lake Mead again. Yeah, we're back to that sunken bomber. But now we got a little bit of pricing. Uh, this one's in Lake Mead in Arizona. And if, if you remember, we had talked about it where there's that, that bomber, that research bomber that had uh, sunk in the lake. And it was at technical depths near 200 feet at one time. And now with the dropping lake levels, it's a depth about 115 feet. Um, National Park Service has selected a company, Tech Diving Limited, earlier this month to conduct guided tours to the wreckage under a two-year contract. During that period, the tech diving will be allowed to take no more than 200 divers to the B-29. This is the same company who was involved last time the Park Service allowed guided tours to site in 2007 and 2008. They said it's an adventure very few people get to have. Rarely do you get to see an intact airplane. Tours are being offered for $300 for a half-day outing or $450 for a full day that includes two dives on the aircraft. Discounts are available on the Tech Diving website. Only divers with the right equipment and high enough certi- certification will be allowed. Is that a reasonable amount? Actually, uh, some of the wrecks around here, you're talking about 100 bucks for a single tank, 100 to 100 and a half. So if you're talking you know, for a, a day for a two-tank dive, we were probably talking 200 to 300, depending on the quality of the dive, how long it takes to get there and back. So 450 is a little salty for two dives on that one, I think. Is, but do you, So you think that's how they're working it out, the half-day dives and one dive and yeah. the, the 450s too? I mean, yeah, I, they'll want to do a good deco to make sure nobody's going to have any residual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I just, people don't realize how much did that water drop if they were 200 feet before then 160, and now it's less than sport diving. You know, it's what, 120? Yeah, 115. So how much did that water level go down, and what happened to the rest of the water in that area? Well, if you go from 200 to 115, you've lost more than half the water. Because if you know, as water rises, it spreads out. It's your, your normal bays and lakes and reservoirs are wider at the top, which would take more water. So a foot of water at, when it was 200 feet deep, is more than a foot of water at 115 feet. Oh, yeah. So that's telling you that it's really dry. Yeah, because remember we saw the photos of, of the dams up there and the size of the uh, how far out the coastline has now evaporated to. Yeah, that's... And they're getting really... Their, their water supply out west is getting really bad. Well, then you see California was complaining. The, the governor, he did his water conservation requirement in... The people didn't do anything. You know, he expected a 50% drop and it was like a 4% or something. Yeah, but they're not, they can't, they're not enforcing it. And that's yeah. going to be hard to do that. They had a good article just talking about that aspect. In California, one of the biggest bumper crops right now is almonds. Oh, yeah. And they were talking about, it was in our paper here, that the water they use on the almond tree, it's something like a gallon per almond or something. But just what they use in watering the almond trees out there is more than all the people in that area use. So, and agriculture is the only one that's exempted from that, that uh, water conservation aspect. Yeah. Okay. So here's, here's uh, an article from uh, Mother Earth, Mother Jones, was it Mother Jones? Mother Jones Magazine. 
wasn't the magazine I thought I was on. Uh, and they're asking, how much water does it take to grow an almond? Okay. And let me see. It says one almond, and your your your, your number is correct. It's one point one gallons of water for an almond. It's uh, three quarters of a gallon of water for a pistachio. Point four gallons of water for a strawberry. Point three gallons of water for one grape. Tomato is three and a half gallons of water. Lettuce is three and a half gallons. A walnut is four to nine gallons for one walnut. A head of broccoli is is uh, four to five gallons of water. Now, somebody was trying to say, and I haven't seen it, but they were trying to say beef was like 500 gallons or something per for a quarter pounder. <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, but the, the difference is, where are you growing your product? Because water is recyclable. So if you're in an area that does not have a water shortage and you're ma- managing your water supply, it doesn't matter how much water you use as long as you're keeping things in balance. But if you're out there in California where you have no water in the first place, and you're, you know, billion, like think of a bag of almonds. I mean, I've, I I can remember buying a bag of almonds, which is expensive. That that bag of almonds was like a, it's like 200 gallons. Hmm. That's a lot of water. And you're right. They're, they're also showing where it's all grown here. Why don't I give you the article so you can follow along. Well, like Vegas, Vegas gets 90% of their water from that area. Oh yeah. Yeah. Vegas is also another crazy place. It shouldn't exist there. It well, won't. no. I'm I, mean, sorry. I mean, if, if it didn't have artificial supply. You know, you're not going to drill a well. Well, this all goes down to really what solves this is it's not water, it's energy. Until you find a source of energy, which is nearly free, which I think is really what the age we need to be in is an energy age. You know, we talk about information age. Information's energy expensive. You know, how much it takes to run servers and computers and stuff. We need to get to where that energy is just about free. And then you desalinate or you know, process wastewater or stuff, which is, which is expensive. I mean, the cheapest thing for water is just go grab out of a lake and run it through a hose. That's not significantly expensive once you've got the investment of the aqueducts or the, the plumbing. Where it starts getting expensive is when you've got to take salt water and desalinate. And then it's real expensive. Actually, uh, one of the first nuclear plants used for desalination was in Russia. Uh, it's no longer functioning now. But on that scale, they made it so it's, if you want to have economics involved, you can do it that way, and you can really reduce the cost down. Oh, certainly. So you'd have to do it on that magnitude using that type of uh, transfer of energy to make it cheaper. The the thing is that in the case of a nuclear plant, uh, you would just change what you're doing with the condensed water. Yes. Yeah, I mean, because most of your nuclear plants, when you see those big cylinders you know i don't call it what, what you you cooling tower. well I, I know they're cooling towers but i'm trying to describe the shape uh kind of a convex like well, a, some, some of them are yeah. the ones at palisades are nothing more than banks of air conditioners yeah or radiators and some don't use them like um american electric power cook plant now cook's just putting the uh the water back in the lake is that how they're doing right. it but it has to do it within a certain delta between intake and output yeah yeah, you, you you don't want boiling water coming right out the plant. There's no way you're going to have boiling water go out. <laughs> the fish like it really warm. Oh, yeah. In fact, it would increase uh, the fish supplies, and that would be a wonderful thing for the fish, but they don't do that. No. As a side note, right now, Lake Mead, the main source of fresh water for Las Vegas, and its 40 million visitors just hit record low levels at 1,080 feet. 
Most concerning, at 1,000 feet, drinking water intakes will no longer function and Las Vegas will go dry. What would that be like? Now, this is old. This was 8-12-2014. So if that was true then, and it's dropped even further this year, and I was trying to get something more current, but I, it, it doesn't, I can't get it up right now on the computer. So <laughs> it, it's interesting. It says Colorado is essentially a dying river. Ultimately, Las Vegas, our civilization, and American Southwest is going to disappear. Well, how, how about people in, in uh, Mexico? I mean, here we go. We suck all this water out of, out of the lakes. And we got treaties with them of how much water we have to leave in there for when it crosses. Well, when it gets down to I need the water before you do, we're going to keep the water. You know that as well as I. Oh, yeah. They were saying, uh, I was looking at the, an environmental study on that. Right now, there's a 50-50 chance that by 2021, Lake Mead will be dry. <laughs> so what, what do you call it then? It's not Lake Mead anymore. Desert. Sad. But then again, what? Hoover Dam and a few of those are not going to work anymore? What are you going to do for the power now? And so now you've, you've also lost the, the hydroelectric power. Oh, yeah. And now you don't have the water. Yeah. They said Lake Mead, Lake Powell is seeing a net deficit of a million cubic feet, acre feet of water per year at this particular moment. It's a lot. Yeah. Eh, just diverted from Lake Michigan, right? Oh, the, the, that will happen. I mean, they're going to try it. Find wrecks for us. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> yeah that, that, I guess there's a positive in there somewhere. Well, do uh, you remember the movie Robot, iRobot? Yeah. And you'll notice the Mackinac Bridge that's in the background. Everything's, it's like a desert. You ever notice that? Was iRobot supposed to take place up by the Mackinac Bridge? When you go, look at the end of that, when he's out there in that barren wasteland with the ships out there, look at the sign. It says Lake Michigan. Oh, I'll, I'll have to rewatch that movie. That was uh, iRobot. Yeah. That's the one with Will Smith? Yep. Huh. Oh, yeah, because he was a Chicago cop. Truth is stranger than fiction. Yeah. Well, this next article, I, I, it just came up in my search. And the only thing, it's, it's a bunch of supposed to be comedy lines. And the one line is, and maybe somebody can tell me, explain it to me. Could you come for a brief scuba in my think tank? Stir fry a few ideas in my think walk. Okay, you've just lost me on this one. So <laughs> I, I've got the den of geek. That's where you got it from, right? Yeah, you go all the way down to the bottom of the article, the very all last right. one. And it oh, says, the, uh, the drop the dead donkey. That's another one I haven't heard. Yeah, I. it's probably taken out of context, but... Well, it's like you read The Onion. I, I'm not sure why people find it funny when it's such a... <laughs> it's true. A spoof. I, I, I'm really not sure why that's but, supposed to be funny. But isn't that history of satire is that only by, they could only tell the truth by doing it as satire? Because then they thought that people couldn't figure it out. Well, if it's not truth, how can it be satire? <laughs> yeah, but I hadn't heard of those at all. No. So I, I I don't, kind of a little sidetracked there. Well, there's another one, too. It's called the duffel bag. And it's like, you read that, and it's it looks legit, but it is not legit. And it's like, some people find it funny, and I just don't understand how that can be funny oh. like that. Or, or some of the topics they, they carry or carry on about. Yeah, well, how about the new one? And this is... Uh... We, I, need, I should, I need to get back to playing audio clips where we could get back on our soapbox. But right now, the U.S. government is trying to convince private industry to spy on you and report to them, and they're granting these 
corporation's immunity? The government or the military? The, no, this is the government. This is the okay. Department of Homeland Security. Oh, yeah, I've read that one already, yeah. Yeah, and, that, and they're actively working on it and they're trying to get cooperation. And you are seeing right. the big companies, the it's Googles, the fun. YouTubes, the Facebooks, are yeah. all in on it. And there's two parts. One is they spy on you and they report on you. So they make these companies retain the data. So that way the government doesn't have to have a big agency. They let the private organizations do it. And they let them abuse your privacy because they get to abuse your privacy. So they're going to be immune. You can't sue them when they do something wrong because there's immunity. And then the other part uh, to this is that they do not want any encryption. They, oh, yeah. are, they are moving to try and make encryption illegal. And they're going to claim they're not. But the only encryption you're going to be allowed to do is stuff that they broke a long time ago. Or they have the code for it. Right. Which defeats the purpose of having encryption. Right. And uh, the, this is a serious problem right now. Uh, and uh, and I don't – I'm trying to – you, you can't figure out who the good guys and the bad guys are on this. I want to say that Apple appears to be the good guy, but they, it could just be a front as well. But you got to remember, it's for your benefit. It's the oh, best thing oh, for course. you. And as long as you're not doing anything wrong, it should not be a problem. Right. That's what they say. And it keeps you safer somehow. Right. And then when you get an office, then they blackmail you, which is why congressmen sometimes can seem to be so wacky, is because these agencies have the information on. Who is it? Uh, J. Edgar Hoover? I mean, this is not stuff that hasn't happened before and been well documented. Yeah. So it's just sad. Yeah. I, I'm not quite sure how we got on this tangent real quick. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It was just burning in me all day, you know, when I, when I, you fight, come across this stuff and you see them doing it and they're doing it out in the open. That's, that's the thing about it. And they're not being transparent, but it's in the open. And these, some of these people are numbskulls, just absolute numbskulls. But here we go. We have a sunken aircraft carrier rediscovered off the California coast. Scientists have rediscovered a mostly intact World War II aircraft carrier used in atomic blast bomb tests and then sunk at a secret location off northern California coast decades ago. I, I actually saw this when it first came out. Uh, I forgot when you had sent it to me that I had I'd actually looked at it. Um, they found it about 30 miles off the coast near uh, Farallon Islands. And I don't know if this article goes into it, but it looks like this is a pretty short article. But this this was a, a carrier that I think had been used in a couple atomic tests. Yeah, it was used in two. Two. And then they brought it to port to practice decontamination. Right. Now, that made a lot of sense to me. Not. <laughs> yeah. Let's bring a highly contaminated object near port, and let's try and decontaminate. So you know that that thing was just hot as all get out. And then at that some point, they decided they didn't have it. And they say they deliberately didn't record the exact location, but it was... Everybody was told it was at least 300 miles off the coast. But guess what? It was 30. <laughs> it just dropped to zero somewhere. Yeah. Well, was it was it that when somebody, you know, after it was already sunk, somebody says, we can't tell them it's only 30? Or was it, was it a mistake? It was a typo mistake. Come typo on. mistake. Or was it a case of a, uh, you know, I'm getting paid so much per mile, but heck, if I only have to spend the fuel for 30 miles versus 300? Well, you know why they moved it, don't you? Why? Why it was, it was out for sink? Oh, it was going to sink on its own. And they didn't want it to sink in the harbor, so they towed it out where it was twenty six hundred feet deep. Yeah. So thirty miles off, it's you know half mile deep. Who's going to find it? 
Yeah, nobody's going to find that. Especially in 51. Yeah. You know, nobody was thinking about diving that deep. So I, I can see why they did it. But look at the other places. Where do we drop our old Navy reactors? Or where does the Soviets drop their old Soviet reactors from their sub submarines? Blink in the water. Yeah, they dump it in the water. Out of sight, out of mind. Solution. Solution is dilution. Yep. Yep. That's... Uh, did that way, way too often. But the pictures were pretty interesting. That was one messed up boat when they sank it. Did you ever see the pictures of it? Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the pictures that you sent Looked me. Looked like hell. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And, and it was still floating. And, and what they did to me is that, and it looks just like it did when we sank it, which was a piece of junk. <laughs> well, isn't like, isn't like radiation observative? <laughs> I mean, in all the... Uh, the comic books, you know, that, that that's how everybody gets their superpowers. I'll just try the spider bite first and see how that works for me. Yeah. If it wasn't so radioactive, it'd, make a, it'd be a great dive site. No, it'd have to be a little shallower. <laughs> well, yeah, you, I, it was obviously a little shallow. Yeah, like but, maybe three miles offshore. Yeah. Drop another zero. But they said in one of them, they, they said you could still see one of the planes. Now, yeah, that I did not understand. Unless there were some below decks, which I'm sure there were during the photos. Have you ever looked at some of the nuclear testing photos? Some of those are freaking awesome. Oh, wow. There was somebody a few years back who did an art study because he had found the, uh, they did it in color. And it's some of the most beautiful color photos. Yeah. And they did some surveys out there a couple of years ago. And the reefs and stuff were really recovering. They were really amazed at how well everything did sort of go back to natural or to normal. Yeah. I don't yeah. know if it'll ever be normal again. Yeah, the, a lot a lot of the areas went back, but there was one of the islands where uh, they had let people go back to, and they had mm -hmm. to they had to change their mind because of uh, even though as a whole the radiation levels were a lot less and considered in the safe areas, the activities of living uh, tended to grab the concentrated because it was it was cesium one forty one I think uh, is is what was concentrated and. And what they were saying was that as, you know, cesium's laying out on the surface and it goes into the low spots, you know, rain hits it and it collects. And then they said trees and plants would grow into the cesium and then bring it all right back up. So you're eating fruits that have this concentration of radioactive material. And then here we have a video of a uh, Melbourne scuba diver filming uh, a spider crab pyramid. Hundreds of spider crabs gather to form a spectacular pyramid in waters near melbourne now is that a pyramid or is it just a way of getting rid of a body i i think they were trying for one of those either ripley believe it or not or they were trying for one of the the records for sea life you know where they can do spectacular items uh-huh well the what is that uh, book everybody tries to get into uh the guinness book of world records yes and they were just trying to you know do their thing yeah, but I keep I, I keep looking at those and say, man, can you? That'd be a hell of a feast. Oh yeah, <laughs> have a crab boil. Oh, that'd be nice. But mm. by the same token, if you were skin diving and you accidentally hit that pile, I wonder how long it would take them to shred you down to the bone. <laughs> they're like piranha. It, it looks like I didn't know what they do. If they got something know. dead, they'll sort of yeah. Well, oh, yeah. Feast. So say, I mean, that's an experiment. That'd yeah, just cool stick your naked arm in it. Make a couple of cuts on your arm. Stick it in that mass of humanity and see what happens. Yeah, so very cool. Oh, did you see the picture the other day of that monster jellyfish? No, 
There's one that keeps going around. If it's the one I'm thinking of, it's a Photoshop. It's 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 a real jellyfish and it's a real diver. It's just they weren't in the same shot like they show in the photo. Yeah. Uh, is it the lion's main one with the? You know, this is the kind of stuff that when you're on the, uh, they're going out there looking for the Ophelio crabs up there in Alaska. Oh yeah. You just want to put your net down right by these guys, and they'll migrate into your net. Oh, that'd have been a nice one. Yeah. They'd have gotten their catch there. Well, how about this for some scuba gear? Quick question: Why is she in a is she in a cage? She's afraid of uh, I don't know the pyramid. I mean, maybe she's afraid she didn't want to get near the pyramid. Well, the thing is, this article has two purposes. One is it's hey, look at this, isn't this crazy? And the other is this person who owns a dive shop trying to get promotion. Uh-huh. So I think that's a promo photo for her dive shop, which we'll mention, Pink Tank Scuba. Oh, actually, it's not her dive shop. That's her website. Yeah. Well, I was curious. She was saying, I was also devastated because some of those crabs had been entangled in fishing wire. And then when I take a look at the pictures, it almost looked like there was like a, a net fishing there, and they're all over that wire. So that may be not be totally full of crabs, but it's on a structure. Well, I guess it could be. That would make more sense, wouldn't it? It says the crabs gather together ahead of their migrations. Yeah, keep going down. So they usually come for their pre-migration, where they usually stack about five or seven high. Yeah, and then she says, just before her her picture in the cage, devastated because some of the crab had been entangled in fishing wire. So what fishing wire, unless there's a cage there, and that's what they're climbing over. It could be. Yeah, I mean, that could be a natural structure. Because seven crabs high does not make a pyramid like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, then this next one, they start talking about gear. This was uh, heated underwear that can uh, double scuba dive time. And this one's out of uh, Mashable.com. So this is in dive gear specifically for women that's heated. They said there haven't been a lot of uh, women exploring depths offshore of Antarctica, but they're saying it might have been because of the, the gear was designed for men. It's a little difference. We can't just start with the men's pattern and scale it down and make it pink, which is pretty much what everyone thinks we're doing. So it's battery-powered garments that I, I just don't understand the whole angle of this. Well, I'm just curious. I mean, hands is hands, feet is feet. What's that got to do with male versus female? You well, put socks on. All right. Uh, yeah. I mean, underwear, I guess there's going to be a little things. I mean, does it, you know, women aren't going to have a stock stuffed in the front like a guy would. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, it's okay. But we talk about that. Uh, what you missed, uh, Mac, at this week's uh, dive club meeting is Bob showed us his uh, his new heated undergarments. He has bought a giant battery pack, and uh, it, his gear isn't wasn't specifically designed for diving. It was designed for motorcycle riding. And he's got a vest, gloves, and boots that are all electric and heated. Very nice setup. Well, it's also double fold. Uh, we, Larry and them were talking today about that, and it's like, golly, we can use it for both our motorcycle riding and our dry suits. Yeah, you could. I don't see any reason why not. I just well, that would be an advent, you know, it's advantageous. You've got double the reason to buy one now. It's not just costly for diving, but get some for the wife too. Yeah, I, I, Bob didn't volunteer how much it cost, and I didn't want to ask, but I bet he's probably got more in that electrical pack than i have in my whole dry suit my understanding that 20 amp hour lithium sealed was around 600 bucks yeah 
And that doesn't count the connectors and the rheostat. Oh, yeah. You want to have one that gives you a variable power. Yeah, he he's well. He didn't get the rheostat yet, but he did get the valve. So he what he's done is, uh, I mean, imagine your canister light. His battery packs twice that size, and then he's got a cable. It's got a waterproof connection, so you can unplug it and plug it in. It plugs into uh, a special valve that he's installed in his dry suit, which is a pass through. I thought they're going to go through the P valve, but I guess there might be a reason you might not want to do that. But well, it could be a, very electrifying. Yeah, just got to make sure you have the switch in the right direction. Uh, yeah. But he had the. Uh, but what it does is it replaced your inflator valve in your dry suit, so it's on your chest, and it kind of did a, a a pass through. So you have the cable in, and then you have a connector on the inside. And then he says this goes. So you have your your undergarment, like your Under Armour, your poly layer, which is right next to your skin and your dry suit. You then have this on top of it. It's really not insulating itself. It's just mostly uh, a membrane to hold the the heat pack. So it's mostly on your chest, your hands, and your toes. And then you do another layer on top of it. But even with that by itself, it's going to give you insulation. Yes. Oh yeah, it, it, it's going to give you a little. Anything that keeps the air from compressing in your dry suit will will give you some warmth. I, I am concerned, though. They're talking about not only could the suits encourage more women to participate in cold water diving, could keep them longer or underwater longer. Then it says we doubled our dive time. We went from twenty minute dives to forty minutes wearing a dry suit. Uh, you can do an hour in a dry suit without the heaters. Well, I know, and they're saying Alaska, but heck, I was doing 20, 20 minutes in a wetsuit. Yeah, that's why I'm, I was curious. You know, uh, yeah. Well, you know I, what this I'm is. It's, it's th- this is this is those 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 women who they weigh about eighty pounds. Yeah, you've seen them. Oh wait a minute! I take this back. I'm look. I read it. It says from twenty minute dives to forty minutes wearing a dry suit with the garments. We can double that again. Oh, okay, eighty yeah. minutes. Okay, that I believe, and that is a positive. Okay, yeah, that's true. I would say twenty to forty minutes is about the difference between. I mean, and that would just be the standard up without doing anything fancy. Right. So, yeah, 80 minutes, yeah, yeah, it's very possible. But the comment here to me is going to be, is it going to be worth the cost do a 40-minute dive instead of an 80-minute? Yeah. If you're doing deco and you're doing deep dives, absolutely you want that heat. And that's what, the, excuse me, they're doing now. And the cave divers, you can go all the way down and back out, but you really want that heat when you're doing your deco because you're going to be freaking cold. Even if you do use a uh, rebreather and you've got some hot air in there, I think there's nothing colder than doing nothing. Like when, All when, I know is my hand and feet go first. And if that's bad, I don't have time for my chest to get cold because I'm already miserable. Because yeah, like when we're going out in Lake Michigan and I was diving in a wetsuit, I've yet to do the, the dry suit really on a nice rack. But you would, uh, if I was in my wetsuit, I would start to get cold about the time I got to the bottom because you've compressed all the neoprene. But as soon as I saw something interesting on the bottom... I completely forgot about it. Yeah, it's always proportional to the other excitement you have. Yeah. Like when you see gold end about it, it's like, well, wait a minute. I can, I can make this five minutes <laughs> tank past 10. I'll just skip breathe. <laughs> or just, yeah. You don't need to breathe. Well, you know that as well as I do. You never find something decent or a, a rich area till you got 500 pounds left. Yeah. You know, as soon as I start hitting the red zone, damn it, there's, a, there's some bottles. Oh, my God, look at all this stuff. Well, Did that happen at 500 pounds? Yeah. Well, this website is called Mashable.com. The article is written by Discovery News. <coughs> Excuse me. But there's 
links all through it to uh, DUI. So yeah, this- I was reading up on it before then. I think I talked to Bob on it uh, of the North Sea divers up in Norway and all those areas. Uh, they swear you got to have electric. And there was some, one of the guys was saying he'll do his dive on regular, but coming up and doing his deco, if he didn't have the, the heated suit, he couldn't do it. Well, I think it just gets to be where you, you, you want to have fun. You want to enjoy yourself. And if, if, if you're not comfortable, you're not going to learn, you're not going to enjoy diving, and you're going to stop. And, it's, and, and honestly, it's a pain in the butt, especially when you're doing deco dives. You've got all well, the gear. you got all the tanks. Yeah, everything's – and it's expensive. This is not a poor man's sport. No, especially not the tech stuff. Yeah, because they're going to – so let's let's say a, a dry suit that they're, that they're talking about on here. So let's say DUI or some equivalent. You're going to be fifteen hundred to three thousand dollars, very easily. And then, what are you going to have for the heating, electrical? So you you have that battery pack. So say you've got that six to eight hundred dollars for the battery pack, and then I would say what four hundred, five hundred dollars for the 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 garments. Well, and, the electric vest at uh, Cabela's, we were looking at those are three hundred dollars by themselves. Not yeah. counting gloves, not counting socks, yeah. but and not counting trousers. But but you know the the guys have a point. How many times have you been at a football game in the winter? I would have this in a second. And a heartbeat. Yeah. I, I would I would have a backpack with that battery pack on, and my wife would be giving me the evil eye until I bought her one. Yeah, there might be something to it. Yeah. Well, and here's, here's another toy. We talk about expensive toys. The Lampuga electric surfboard. They said it will reach speeds of over 50 kilometers per hour. What's, what's that, about 38, 39 miles an hour? Well, 100 kilometers is 60, so 50 would be 30. Yeah. So 30 miles an hour on a surfboard. And if you imagine, it looks just like a surfboard. They've got uh, maybe not so much like a surfboard. It kind of looks like the board portion of a uh, sailboard, doesn't it? Just it does. The sail. Because it's got the spot where you can put your feet into it. And then it's got a strap. I think part of it just to hold on to because if it's moving that quick, you, you kind of use it to balance. And a kill switch or kill cord. Yeah, you you didn't want to have that. <laughs> That's an expensive thing to lose. Uh, Fifteen horsepower electric jet engine propels the boards at speeds. Uh, it's entirely emissions three of fifty one point eight volt lithium ion. And uh, the price is only I don't know fifteen thousand four hundred. Holy crap! <laughs> yeah, yeah, fifteen thousand. Yeah, if you went to uh, wow, that's and that's. Mexico, there's a few other ones for for uh, mega yachts. These are some of the toys they recommend that you carry on your mega yacht. So fifteen thousand four hundred euros. That's what it looked like to me. Yeah. So that's like almost eighteen, nineteen thousand. Yeah, I'm going to buy me a tow sub, a really good DPV for that amount, and have a lot more fun. Yeah. Heck, a boat. Yeah, or a boat. <laughs> you could get a boat. Wow, that is, I mean, it is definitely super cool. I didn't realize it was that much. Yeah. Well, the, the chat room was uh, asking a couple questions. Uh, the first one was, uh, is that to keep pet shops from overfishing? Um, I don't know. Are I, those, I don't know if it was pet shops they were talking about, though. They're talking commercial. I think they're commercial. And, and I thought that was export. Yeah, because I think what that is, is that's the probably the mainland, uh, U.S. and Europe. The aquarium trade is where a lot of the demand comes from, being an old-time aquarium person. uh what they'll do is they'll, as soon as they get them, you know, they'll, as soon as they get to land, they'll, uh, uh, they put a bubbler in it and they'll ship it, you know, FedEx, UPS it. 
to aquarium stores. And a lot of times they'll be orders. They'll have orders for specific fish, and that's what they're trying to to fill. So you certainly need some management. I mean, you don't want everybody just, like, robbing all the yellow tangs because they are cool. I mean, they're amazing fish, but uh, they'll grow back, but you you definitely have to maintain uh, the resource. Yeah. What was the other question? Uh, the, the other thing they said is that the the lighthouse in St. Joseph, Michigan, is now on the cover of the AAA Travel Magazine this month. Well, I bet that's because you know what's going to do to the lighthouse, don't you? Well, it's going to it's this the city bought it, didn't they? Right, but you know what they're going to be doing to it? Uh, making it a museum. They are going to reconstruct it to the same one in 1932. They're also considering building a what they call uh, a uh, oil house. They add that back on it so it's identical. They're making the walkway. They're re- re- redoing the walkway. They're putting woods, the wood floors on the walkway all the way to the lighthouse. They're going to completely redo the inside, do mock-ups on the horns and the lights because that's been transferred to the museum. Mm-hmm. And they're shutting down the whole North Pier this summer to do all that work. Now, the big question is going to be, one, they will charge admission obviously, because I would imagine what they're going to do is charge admission to go up on the gantry, walk the gantry, which is unique, and do the tour, and then come back out and down. The second thought is they're going to charge you to get on the pier, period. Now, I can believe the first. I'd have a hard time believing they'd be allowed to charge you just to go on the pier for maintenance. Now, the project is to cost about $2 million bucks. They've already got $1.7 million put away. And uh, they've got it out for bids, my understanding. But I'm just curious how they're going to pay for it. And are they really going to just charge for those who do the walkway and the tour? Or are they going to try to stash anybody who goes on the pier to fish? What do you think? I don't think in the end they'll do that. But Which if part? They, uh, keep people from fishing on the pier. <clears throat> I think if you they do. Lot? You mean they call you charge and get a season pass? Well, I'm. I, I think if they do, we need to bitch. Well, I'm we, curious. We, we pay who to put it in. Who maintains the pier? Well, the the pier is well, the pier was until this move, Army Corps of Engineers. I think the St. Joe has took responsibility when they took the lighthouse. That's what I don't know. I know they have responsibility for the lighthouse, but what about the pier maintenance? Is that still a government item? Because if if they hadn't thought that far ahead, they just opened up Pandora's box. How are you going to pay for that down the road? Well, well, that's the thing is they have to figure out how to pay for it because that's not going to be cheap. Uh, I'm sure they're going to. It's going to. This is going to be buried in grants on top of grants on top of grants. So you don't know who's paying for it. Well, as soon as you said grant, you're paying for it because you're a taxpayer. Well, right. And that's where but, grants come from. That's free money, right? Of course. It doesn't cost anybody anything because <laughs> it's free except to the taxpayer. Okay. Well, I mean, I, I, I think. <clears throat> I mean, the catwalk thing is unique, but I think one of the reasons why you spend the effort to do the catwalk is it makes a way, it makes it an easy way of restricting access without limiting access to the actual pier. Absolutely. That, I can see them doing that, but I can also see that's got to be limited by the season unless they open it up special because when I got encased in ice, that would be one hell of a picture if you could get out there on the catwalk and take pictures from the catwalk. It would be, but who's, I don't who's see Who's going to pay extra for that? Well, there'll be a lot of people who pay extra. People pay enough to get out there at that time? Yeah. Money talks. BS walks. Yeah. We'll see how many years it makes money for them. <coughs> but if they can get people to fork over money when they come to visit 
Hey, that works for me. Yes, and I, I totally agree. Walking that catwalk, I do that one time just to do the pictures and the video. Yeah. Only two million, huh? Yeah. I'm waiting for the next one, though, though. Once that gets done, then you can watch, and we'll have that same discussion on no jumping off the piers. Oh, they're def- They're certainly going to do that. Oh, yeah, that'll come right back in force. And then they'll say because there's going to be more traffic there than they used to have because of the visitors. And they're not cognizant of blah, blah, blah. So that'll be back again, just like in South Haven. Oh, yeah, that's always going to be back because <clears throat> they can make the illusion that they're doing something. Well, it's hey, if it only saves one life, it's worth it. You can't measure saving any life. How would they know? If it only saves one. Well, how do they know it saves one? Because they made it a, a law that you can't do it. <laughs> They're going to threaten you. Then if you jump in, we're going to find your ass. You know, it's better if they do that and you have to be recovered. They charge you for the recovery. Because you look historically, the people who die out there either drunk, did it on purpose, or yeah. they're you know they're def- definitely Darwin candidates. Yeah. Well, you oh yeah you've got you've got suicides, which yeah you know, what are you going to do? Yeah, and drunks. Yep. Or you're texting and you walk off the pier like last year. <laughs> In the river. Darwin candidate. What was the other, what was the one that was on Facebook recently? Everybody was commenting on the Darwin candidate. Oh, oh yeah. We should have cut. We should have covered this one in the news. In China, a man blew up in a a oxygen uh, hyperbaric chamber. Yeah. He went for a smoke. Yeah. The, the, the nurses left him alone for a minute and he thought, well, I'll get a quick smoke in lights a cigarette in the chamber, catches the lint. They think he caught the linen on fire, and it blew up. He wouldn't have had to catch the linen on fire. <laughs> Good static arc would have done just as well. Yeah. But I think you pretty much guarantee the outcome when you light a cigarette in a hyperbaric chamber. Yeah. yeah. Not going to fool around with the spark. Let's have a flame. Yeah, he, he had a little wound therapy. So it kind how of, can he get in there with that kind of stuff? Well, that's they didn't check. I mean, they obviously didn't have procedures. I mean, uh, yeah, it was wound therapy. When you're, when you're getting treatment, don't they make you wear scrubs? Yes. <clears throat> well, they, they have, I can't remember, back in the day when we went in the chambers, you could only wear certain fabrics. Uh, you had to watch for the lubrication of the O-rings on the hatches. Uh, they were a little, well, and actually, good thing, paranoid about you don't want to create any arcs. Yeah. I mean, justifiable. But this is kind of proof because you, you've kind of wonder. I mean, I even thought that when we were going to the chamber because uh, we wore jeans, I think. But he was just kind of like, well, you know, try not to do this or do that. And, and you're thinking, but, you know, here this proves it. So, yeah, Dar- Darwin wins again. And quickly. <laughs> well, we had a mud club meeting this week. A uh, couple couple new members uh, visited the mud club. I think I I heard him talking with Rick about uh, getting stuff, and there's a comment said since Max here, uh, they, the money might make it. You mean since Max not here, <laughs> not money here. might make it? Yeah. <laughs> so they, uh, yeah. So I don't think I think I don't know if they just got the application or if they actually paid dues, but they a uh, couple new members. Uh, I think one of them works out in security at the nuke plant. I believe both of them work out at AEP, yeah. 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 I try to heard. Yep. So a couple of nice guys. Hopefully they come in. And one of the comments they made is, is uh, at the beginning of the meeting, somebody asked if anybody had been diving and nobody raised their hand. And they and they, they, looked, they looked genuinely concerned. And they said, I thought people were diving every week. And I said, well, if you count Mac in, it's a guarantee somebody's diving every week. <laughs> <laughs> 
and we had quite a bit. Uh, Kevin got some dives in. Uh, he yep, Kevin has. He's been doing some more shallow water work. Yep. Oh yeah, he he did a, a nice discussion on some of the history he's been digging up. He's really getting good at that. Yep, him and Sarah. Yep. Uh, he was talking about. I'm trying to remember what what which wreck it was. He is uh, the porcupine from the War of 1812. Yeah, he's looking at some that are in shallow waters and then the rivers that feed Lake Michigan. Yeah, these are where you would not expect to have some of these. And and the thing is, and I can remember talking to my grandfather, is what we think was amazing they thought was junk. <laughs> and that's why they junked it. I mean, yeah, it, it was like junk. A good example. Well, like, like he said, the porcupine, it, it was salvaged three different times. It was sunk, then raised used for a couple of years, then sunk again. And, and th- this is intentionally sunk. They would just didn't want to mess with it. So they would just let it sink and, uh, it sunk and then they raised it again and then they decided it wasn't worthy enough and they sunk it a final time. Well, it's like the boats are looking at Reed Lake. I have a picture of it burning. They took the engine off. They're burning the damn thing. Then it got offshore and burned and sank. Now it's important and it's historical. Excuse me, but why? <laughs> It wasn't when somebody lit it on fire. Well, yeah, they that they were getting rid of it. Yeah. If I burn it, I don't have to haul it out and take it to the trash. Yeah, just all to the work line. matter perspective. But, yeah, Kevin's getting good at finding that stuff. Uh, let's see who else had done some diving. Um, uh, Kevin and Bob had done the pier a little earlier we had talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, Kevin was going to dive last, I think it was Thursday, Thursday or Friday. Because I talked to him. He was going to go, he's in South Haven. He was going to do the North Pier there. He got there and I was talking to him and he's out there saying, damn, I got three foot waves out there. So I don't think he dove that day. No, I don't think he did. But he'd he'd gotten another dive in somewhere. Uh, There was some talk this last weekend that people were going to go out and dive. Uh, I couldn't make it. I'm still fighting this cold. So I don't, I, I still think I got another week or so. Yeah, Bob's on call. They were going to do either the Havana or they were going to do um, Lake 16 or Diamond Lake. Or Diamond Lake was Bob's idea. And then Jim was going to get something going on 16. But uh, I believe the weather was supposed to be really pissy. So they aborted on that. Yeah. And this coming week, not not this weekend, but the weekend after is the uh, quarry dive, right? We're going to meet and greet. Yeah, meet and greet is coming up. So that's and I know the. That. Jim is going to that one. Great Lakes Wrecking Crew meet and greet at Gilboa Quarry. Right. Because Jim's going. uh, Bob is going. I could see going for a day trip. Yeah. If if I could get the clearance, I would certainly do it. I don't think I can this coming up. I'm pretty backed up for a while. That's May 1st, isn't it? Yeah. We're getting that time. Yeah. May May 1st is uh, the blossom time. So we've got blossom time and... uh, so we got Blossom Time Parade, which is the band. Is We've that got, Saturday the second? Oh, let's let me pull up a calendar here. Because Friday is the first, Saturday would be the second. So I didn't realize Blossom was so quick. Yeah, it's the first. Goodness, why can't I have a calendar in this damn computer? I'm looking at the calendar. Yeah, yeah, some. Yeah, like get me on a computer tangent again. I'm getting to be that grumpy old man who doesn't like anything anymore. Welcome to the club. It's like stuff that they used to just do. Now they don't. <clears throat> so month, so we're going to have Blossom Time. So April 1st was Wednesday. Yeah, the second, uh, yeah, that's going to be Blossom Time. It's going to be the second. Okay, I didn't realize that. Yeah, so we'll have Blossom Time. Yeah, I've got like three events stacked that day. Yeah, I'm already trying to get reservations for uh, Sheboygan because Bob already has. Yeah, go go get them. They'll be good. 
Yep. Let's see. Is there anything else that we need to cover? Uh, once again, I'd like to thank WRVO Radio for putting us on the air. You can download the WRVO Radio app or listen through TuneIn. Let's see. We got the Mud Club, mudclub.scubaobsessed.com. We got uh, the website, www.scubaobsessed.com. And I am working on a new site, but I've been rolling out sites for paying customers and have just not been able to get to it. And I need to because uh, Google is going to start penalizing websites for not being mobile friendly. So uh-huh. I've been making mobile friendly websites for four years. And mine is it's somewhat friendly, but it's not like how I do websites now. So it needs <laughs> to be redone. So maybe if I get some time, I'm at that point in the year where a really strong rainstorm and it's like a free day. <laughs> okay. I got, I got my fur. I mowed the whole yard last week. Yeah, I did too. And got the fertilizer out, did the edging, got that done so I could go diving. Yeah. I, I, I mowed probably two acres of my yard. So I am, this is like a record for me. Usually if I, if I've got my yard mowed once before blossom time, I feel pretty good. I'm about two weeks ahead of schedule gonna have to mow again uh, i'm gonna try and get some mowing done tomorrow but I'm, I'm also that time of year where if you can't mow just once a week it's about every four to five days you have to be out there mowing yeah well i was gonna mow today but i went diving instead so screw the mowing i can do that later <laughs> so diving what kind of diving did you get how was it uh, we went out to pawpaw uh sir larry and ken and i went out there uh about 36 to uh, t- not 36, geez. Uh, temperature was getting warmer. It's 46 to 48, depending on your depth. Uh, visibility at 15 feet was probably, I thought, maybe 8 eight feet, which wasn't bad. When the sun was out, really nice. Sun went away, it was dark. Uh, I think we, I went in, be- well, you know how me, I try to get in before everybody else does. Ken got out and he had 48 minutes down, and I was in before he got in. So we did pretty good. I only used 1,500 pounds of air. Well, pawpaw, so you probably didn't get much deeper than 20 feet. Well, I'm looking at my gauge, and it says 50 feet, and I'm looking up, and I can see my float. That ain't 50 feet. My gauge is uh, not working properly. I, when I'm up, it says 25 feet. <laughs> oh, wow. So right now I'm in deco. <laughs> now you say, this is this a computer gauge or just a regular mechanical? Oh, I'm analog, man. I don't okay. go over that. Put in a battery. Yeah, I got to get a battery for mine. Also, no. got to get my my hydro done and my visual done. I'm yeah. bad. I'm, I'm I'm like the dive shop's worst nightmare now. Yeah, wasn't bad. I, I mean, Larry brought up some some bottles. Nothing really keeping. Tossed them away. We got the obligatory golf balls. So it, it was a good dive. I did find uh, a nice mushroom, and then I brought back two flat irons, which were, I was very pleased with. Wow. So I had a good day. I left all the hutchies down. I said, "Did you guys find the hutchies I left?" No. So there's some hutches sitting out there for you. Oh, okay. Well, I got to go now. <laughs> they're going to be the ones that are standing up on top. Like, they'll be like a rock there's with a, a bucket and then a... Right on top of it. With a hutchie on top. <laughs> now, I found some iron. I found some, you know, like uh, those heavy-duty uh, carts that you use to lift like a 1,000 pounds with that the wheels are actually metal. Yeah. With no rubber on them. I found a set of those down there, and I laid them up by a big rock. So there's some new stuff out there, and we did the did the uh, Mr. Curtis was with me, went to the Plainwell Metal Detecting Club, uh-huh. and we did a presentation up there. Oh, excellent! Yeah, I, f- I forgot to ask how that went. Yeah, we had we had 75 people show up for that. Wow, very good. And um, hey, we're looking at we brought some samples of grubbing gear, put some of our good bottles and some uh, other little 
items. And they looked at some of the dumbest bottles and said, man, this is great. You want to sell this? And it's like, say what? The bottles I thought they really liked, they liked them, but they liked some of the weird ones better. When you say weird ones, were they visually weird? or Remember the, the white one? You know the five bottles that Jim brought up? They're really pretty, embossed, like a blue aqua, and then a yeah. brown one, and then I've got them posted on a club site. Yeah. Anyway, there's two plain Jane, sort of. One's got some light embossing, but the tops were unique, and the guys were, were really enjoying the tops. And that uh, Paps beer bottle I, I found that I really like, uh-huh. I was literally drooling to see if I'd sell that to him. Because that's all he collects is, is those beer bottles. And he said, I don't have that one. Well, yeah, well I mean, that's kind of the, that's a trick of collecting. It's, you only want what you don't have. True. And I will, I, I'm going to do a little research on it because I'm getting rid of all my stuff anyway. Yeah. And hey, if he makes me a half decent offer, I won't stick them. Uh, I'm going to sell it to him. I, I want somebody to have it who wants it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of the way. I mean, not every piece of trash, even if it's in mint condition, needs to be preserved. Yeah. I got about a four-gallon plastic pumpkin that's clear. I have yeah. that full of metal detecting stuff. I always take that for the kids to look at. And I had kids coming over, can I have this? Can I have that? Because there's little, those little toy cars and stuff in there that yeah. the boys always dig and bury. Uh-huh. But it's strictly for the kids because they can spin around and look at all the wonderful things that they want. No, so we had a good time. Now, at the at a metal detecting club, I mean, since glass isn't metal well, th- this this group does metal detecting, bottle collecting, uh-huh. privy diving. Okay, that's that makes sense. Yeah, because the whole gamut. Yeah, when and you talk privy diving. diving, then yeah, those those guys are into about everything. Oh, and then they have some pristine bottles from the privy diving. Oh yeah, and, uh, the bottle collectors are, are fine too. It's it's really really interesting. The techniques are are similar, and you can always learn how to do something better. And that's why I enjoyed being there, and they enjoyed. We talking about the diving, so I did some snippet videos uh, showing them how deep the silt was over in some of the lakes. That got their attention. Uh, so again, we we had a good time. Then I went out and ate with them afterwards, yeah. just like us. You know, what do they do? They eat there, and then afterwards, a whole bunch of them go out to uh, wherever we went to McDonald's because they had a lot of seating. Yeah. Now, do they? Were there any divers in their group already? Yes, uh, I actually had some people come down from Sask. They wanted to hear my verbiage. <laughs> Uh, I may wind up doing a presentation up there for him. But do you know Rob Knoll? The name sounds familiar, but I... Uh, he works He works the SAS shop there in Battle Creek. He was there. He actually joined the Medley Technical Club. That turkey's going out to Arizona uh, looking for meteorites. And it's like, can I go? Can I go? That yeah. sounds cool. I'd like to do that for a week. Yeah. and But I think that would be the maximum I could do it is for a week. When you watch these guys, it, it, it's an addiction. They're so addicted yeah. to when they find something, they're willing to blister in the sun. And they're kind of like us finding bottles. It's, you know, they're they're happy for the first half an hour, and then when they don't find anything, they gradually get grumpier and grumpier until they come across something. I want to spend a month on Bering Straits looking for gold. And then I want to spend that month up there in the, in the, in the mountains looking for crystals and that. And then I want to spend a month. <laughs> you know, I could spend the whole freaking summer looking for stuff. I yeah. love that. And I know it, it sounds crazy. How can you stand to be there fanning for 10 hours? Uh, all you got to do is find that gold a little bit, and that just, your adrenaline goes up, and then you want more of that. Yes. It's like an addiction, I reckon. 
It is. It is, isn't it? It is. That's that's kind of how I am with the bottles. It's like it's where you yeah. go after the next one and the next one and the next one. Yeah, and then once you get a certain level, it's like you need you need a little stronger hit. You need a glob top, and then after the glob top, you need a you need some stoneware, and then you need you know what I mean. Yeah. And I you don't want silver rings; you want gold. And after the gold, you want platinum. <laughs> they need a platinum, rubies, diamonds. Yep. Well, I think we've gone off the deep end now. Yeah, but that's exactly what I want to do. So what can I say? Maybe this is the conspiracy in gold episode. If anybody's out there got any pool and you want some crazy people to go diving for or yeah. looking for treasures, hey, give me a call. Yeah. Well, are you ready? Yes, I'm ready for that moment. <clears throat> I don't even know how to explain this This one. Uh, we're going to blame Rob. He, he gave it to us. It's not quite even a... A dive joke, but interesting story all the same. Okay. A young man shopping in a supermarket noticed a little old lady following him around. If he stopped, she stopped. She even kept staring at him. Finally, she overtook him at the checkout, and she turned to him and said, I hope I haven't made you feel ill at ease. It's just that you look so much like my late son. He answered, that's okay. I know it's silly, but if you could call out, goodbye, mom, as I leave the store, it'd make me feel so happy. She then went to the checkout, and as she was on her way out of the store, the man called out, Goodbye, Mom! Little old lady waved, smiled back at him. Pleased that he brought a little sunshine to somebody's day, he went to pay for his groceries. Well, that comes to $1,211.85, said the clerk. How come so much? I only bought five items. The clerk replied, Yeah, but your mother said you'd be paying for her things, too. Oops. <laughs> Can you say con artist with a smile? <laughs> I, I'm going to say that wasn't the first guy she said looked like her son. <laughs> but that sure gives you some idea, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, until next week, go out there and get wet. And stay safe. Take it, we're off the air and no longer recording.